All right. I know you all got your weapons, right? Everyone brought their swords. Pull them out. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 10. Just moving right through. A little over a third of the way through the book. So, Our text today is verses 26 through 33 of chapter 10. 26 through 33. Where Jesus says... Uh, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than any sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. This is just a heavy text, and I don't mean like, you know, like like in its entirety. I mean, there's like... There's like five little heavy things inside of here, like statements. I feel like each like statement, uh, each sentence could be a, a sermon uh, in here. So this is going to be a little gnarly, a little rocky, you know, bear with me uh, getting through this. But the, but the first thing we need to know is that this statement that we're coming into today is the direct conclusion from what we saw last week. It's, it's the direct, in fact, Jesus is saying the same thing. So, like, we have these breaks in our modern-day Bibles uh, where there's spaces uh, between subjects and there's little headings that have been added uh, between um, paragraphs to, to help us find things better and to break things up better. Um, for the most part, those are, those are uh, helps. Those are helpful to have in our Bibles. But in some cases, they're not helpful. And this is one of those cases where it's not helpful that this is a separate section because Jesus is 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 in the exact same breath as he was prior to this um it's so it's it's really it's really weird to disconnect this and the context of course that which is Jesus is talking about to his disciples is that they're going to go out and they're going to be sheep among wolves so this has been the subject this has been what um Christ is speaking um, to them on. And what he told them, what he revealed to them, is that it's not going to go well. Like there's going to be all kinds of opposition, there's going to be all kinds of problems, there's going to be all kinds of trouble and tribulation as a result of going out and doing what Christ has called them to do. Um, I, I like what Chad said when he taught on this last week. He said, winning for the kingdom often looks like losing, Right? And, and that's really what the subject is here. That's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the context. Is, is, is it winning that which uh, God is doing in building his kingdom looks like to everybody else around us and the rest of the world like losing. It looks ridiculous, right? Um, so that's kind of what's going on. And, and, and what he's going to do now is he's going to conclude on that subject of going out as sheep among wolves by addressing the fear factor that's involved with that. And I don't know, if, you, if you're a human being and you have a pulse like me and you, and you read what Christ previously said about what it is these guys are supposed to go out and do and how it's going to go for them, there's, gotta, there's a fear factor. 
There's a fear factor involved, and so he's actually going to address that fear factor here in our text today. And he's going to do it with three do-not fears. We're going to see three do-not fears, and then we're going to see one do-fear. <laughs> okay? um, and, and really, the conclusion from Jesus today, if I'm going to go ahead and like just give this away right up front and boil this down, uh, this text is not really a matter of if we fear or not. It's a matter of who we fear the most. That's it. In a nutshell, that's, that's what this text is. That's the heart of this text. Who we fear the most. And this all begins in verse 26, right? Which says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And so we see here, again, this statement starts with so, which means it's directly connected to that which he's already been saying. And, and, and what does so usually mean? Uh, it means we're about to get the conclusion of that which he's just previously spoken. He's going to conclude, all right? So that's what we're getting here. Uh, and the conclusion starts with have no fear of them. Have no fear of them. They're going to deliver you to courts like we saw um, just a little farther back. They're going to deliver them to courts. They're going to flog you in synagogues. They're going to drag you before kings. They're going to betray you. Family members are going to betray you. Family is going to kill you. You're going to be hated by everybody for my name's sake, right? But it's all good. Don't fear them, right? Um, And the question becomes like, like, how can we not? Like, like, why? <laughs> what, why? Why do we not fear that which you said is going to go down? I, I mean, you, you just said, Jesus, basically, like, like, like things are going to be really, really bad, and now you're saying don't fear them as if, it's that easy, as if we can just turn that on or off, right? And so he's going to have a reason here. This is reason number one why not to fear them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Well, what the heck does that mean? Right? Like, like, what kind of a reason is that? How does that help? Well, here's what it means. Whatever happens, whatever they do, they will not get away with it. That's what it means. They will not get away with it. Whatever it is they do to you, they won't be getting away with it. I believe that one of the things that can paralyze you and I um, with fear in interactions resulting in possible like injustice and mistreatment is the thought that those people or that wicked act will have the final say. And it won't. That that, that, that injustice will win. The wickedness will emerge victorious. Um, and what Jesus is saying here is that it will not. It will not. The very reality in our Bibles of judgment and wrath and accounts being settled before God assures us that they will not. One of the most disturbing, I think, and disagreeable subjects in all of Scripture that actually detours people from God. It's actually a reason I've heard over and over again of why somebody does not accept or receive or believe in the God of the Bible is the idea of hell. It's the idea of hell. We just can't fathom that this is something that God would do, that this is something that God would create, that this is something that God would would operate over, right? This eternal, permanent, relentless state for certain people. We think, oh gosh, that's so extreme, that is so mean, right? Like, Like there's no way that a loving God would do something like that. Do you know what else? 
those same people strongly reject at the same time? No justice. It's ironic. They hate hell, but they also hate the fact that there might be injustice, right? Uh, Like, I, I know that hell seems harsh, but we all know that no justice for wickedness and godlessness is harsher. Let's think of the Muncies again real quick. The thought of that guy and what he did to their daughter, that he would walk as if nothing ever happened, is horrible. That's a horrible thought that that man would walk and that there would be no payment, that there would be no exacting of that wrong. Just heartache and loss, right? We, we don't like the idea of that. We, we need, we want, we crave, we desire justice to be done and to be served, right? Jesus is assuring these guys here that no matter what happens to them, and, and if I don't know how many of you know the stories of the disciples, and how they actually died, it's insane. Uh, it's something you ought to look at. Um, but Jesus is, is like assuring them right here in this statement, no matter what happens to them, what men do to them, how they're treated, how it ends, no one will get away with any of it. No one's going to get away with any of it. This is encouraging. Um, it, everything's going to be accounted for, everything's going to be dealt with, everything's going to be paid up, everything's going to be exacted. These people will not only have to deal with the supreme judge of the living and the dead one day, but they're also going to have to deal with the dad of the mistreated. And I don't know about you, but I've been a dad of four kids, and um, I'm a little protective of my kids. Like, if there's a threat to my kids, uh, something goes, goes, goes on in me, Right? Uh, and, and, and rightly so. These are the things that I, the, the ones that I love the most and I value them the most. They're most precious to me. And if I see some kind of a threat or some kind of an opposition, then daddy gets crazy, right? Um, how much more your heavenly father with you? You know what I mean? Like these people are going to have to deal with the dad of the ones who they mistreat one day. And dad's going to take care of stuff. Dad's going to take care of stuff, right? We're kind of protective of our kids. So the first do not fear out of three do not fears um, is due to the assurance by Jesus that every opposing act that goes down against his church, against his people, against his kids will be paid for. They will be paid for. And because this is true, Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples um, make this known right up front to the persecutors. This is verse 27, which, which says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, say everything that you need to say. Don't be afraid. Say everything you need to say. Proclaim everything that I have given you to proclaim. Do not soften the message. Do not hold back on the message of what you say. Be honest and be bold. This is the idea here. In this sentence, um, this does not mean that you and I can go and be jerks for Jesus. I, I know that sometimes we're looking for permission or an excuse. Uh, this isn't one. This doesn't mean that we can be jerks for Jesus. It does not mean that we can be arrogant or prideful or insult people or be self-righteous. Uh, it, it does not mean that we can be intentional in offending people because we enjoy it. Right? It, it means we, we are to be bold and courageous in speaking the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth out of love and out of concern. 
That's what it means. When you do, some might hate you, but some might also get saved. Right? This is the way it works. In the book of Acts, uh, we see uh, Peter. Every time he opens his mouth and he, he, proclaim, he preaches a sermon, he does this over and over again. You see, if there's anything that you notice with the new Peter, <laughs> the, the spirit-filled Peter, after post-Pentecost, right, and, and is that this guy is bold. And this guy is courageous, like he didn't mince words. Like, let me give you an example of this real quick. Acts chapter 3, check out this sermon. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And at this means that they, they, he, they just healed a, a lame man. And everybody, like, witnessed this. And it, 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 like, was an opportunity for him to, like, bounce into a sermon. Like, that's what's going on is that they just witnessed uh, a healing. So he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety we have made this guy walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, listen to this, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Listen to this. And you killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. Like, this dude is shooting straight shots. Like, like these, these, are, these are loaded bullets here that, that Peter's shooting. He's not holding back at all. And this is what we see from him over and over again, is that he didn't mince words, he didn't hold back. Every true gospel sermon ever preached, people, results in two possible responses. Reception by the listener, or rejection in hostility. Always. Every time in this room, every week, everybody sitting in these chairs is faced with. 100% of the people populating this room will respond to the message. And it will either be out of reception or it will be out of rejection, which is usually in hostility. Like, the gospel demands a response. And it's a very bifurcated response. Very rarely is it nominal. <laughs> very rarely is it, is it something that's just indifferent, right? And we see this here. It is a call to life, the gospel proclamation, with bold word, with plain speaking. It's a call to life from condemnation or a solidification of condemnation. And no one wants to be told they're condemned. I mean, I don't know. No, no one, that, it's not like a feel-good message, you know what I mean? No one wants to be told that they're guilty. No one wants to be told that they're a bad person. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner. No one wants to be told that they're hell-bound, right? No one wants to be told that they're an enemy of God. But Jesus is like saying here, like, like don't be afraid of them. Like, tell them. Tell them. This is how it works. Tell them. Let them be warned. And, and this, is, this is what Peter does here. And I want to just read you the results at the end of this sermon. At the end of that sermon in Acts, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. That's not good. That's bad. Came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. This is what we're talking about. 
The gospel demands a response. And that response is always bifurcated when the true gospel is proclaimed with plain, bold language. Christ is saying, do not soften nothing. Go out and say exactly what I've told you to say. It's okay, right? And that's kind of what we we have going on here. So now let's move to the second do not fear statement, verse uh, 28, uh, which says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Um, we're going to deal with the first part of this verse first. The second reason given here by Christ to his disciples to not fear those who come against them is because they can only do so much. They can only do so much, right? Like, like there's only so far that they can go with, with what they can do. There's only so much that they can take. And, and this is where we're like, yeah, but like, that's my life, man. That's my life, like my life that we're talking about. No, it's not. It's not your life that we're talking about here. It's your body that we're talking about, not your life. We need to understand this as Bible-believing Christians. This is such a big deal to our faith, to know this theology of where life is and who holds it. And it ain't in the body. We think, though, well, at the very least, okay, like, if they kill me, like, they're going to make a wife a widow or a husband a widow. Like, that's a big deal. Like, they're going to make a child an orphan, right? Uh, they're going to leave a financial burden on somebody somewhere. Uh, it'll create a great pain and a great loss and great tears and great suffering. Like, this isn't small. This isn't insignificant. Like, it's not easy to brush off. This is, this is huge. This is a big deal. And it is a big deal if... We really don't believe the bigger thing. There is a bigger thing. It is a big deal if there's really nothing after we leave the body. It is a big deal if this really here right now is as good as it gets. Right? It it, it is a big deal if there's no promise of something more permanent that follows. It is a big deal if there's no redemption for the child of God. It is a big deal if there's no reality to the soul being that which contains life and lives on. If none of these things are true, then yes, it is huge that they can kill the body. But Jesus is saying it is not because there is something more. This thing right here that you and I live in every day is a tent. It's a tent. Nothing more. And someone is going to burn down this tent someday whether it's me or whether it's him or whether it's someone who opposes me. The tent is going away. There's an expiration date on our tent already, guys. There's nothing we can do about it. There's a shelf life that's there, right? What what matters is what's next. When I shed this tent and I stand in line for a new one, right? And I I think, like, I'm going to get an RV, Instead of a tent. Like, that's what it looks like. We're going we're gonna to get this thing that's, that doesn't have an expiration date and that doesn't have a shelf life and that, 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 that does not expire. It's going to be outfitted for eternity. That's amazing. But when my tent goes, I do not go. And neither do you. We go on. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Right? This is what we're talking about. Life is in The soul. If you go to a graveyard, nobody is there. It's just a bunch of busted up 
burnt down tents in the ground. That's all it is. And, and, I, and I, I just want to make sure that we, we make this distinction here of what's, what Jesus is actually saying, right? Like one day we're going we're gonna to vacate this tent, right? And, and the real question is, then what? Then where will I be? This is the real question. Where will I be then? How will I be then? Who will I be with then? This is, this is the million-dollar question for people to be asking, right? So, so, like, the worst thing that these guys can do is burn down my tent, but they cannot take my life. This is good to know. So do not fear, he says. They can only go so far. They can only take so much. And it ain't that much in the scheme of things, in the scheme of things, if we believe what we say we believe. And we'll get to that. Uh, 28, um, rest of the verse, actually we'll just read the whole thing. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him. So here's the do fear. Here's the do fear that we have here. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is that word that we don't like. Okay? Uh, It's the H word. Um, And a lot of people don't like it. And I'll be honest, like I don't like it. Like, I don't, I don't get a kick out of saying it. Um, I don't enjoy the thought of it. I don't enjoy the concept of it. Um, but, but, but here it is, right? And so, like, the first thing that I want us to know is that when Jesus uses the word hell, what he's doing is he's going on record as saying that he believes it's real. I know this isn't a popular, like, sermon, but I'm, Whatever. When Jesus uses hell, talks about hell, he's going on record as saying it's real. It's true. Okay? This is something we all must come to terms with no matter how bad it sounds to us. No matter how unimaginable of a concept hell is, it is, according to Jesus, a reality. It is a reality, whether we like it or not. Now, I don't know how many times that I have, and I think I kind of alluded to this, like that I've met people who profess to be um, Christians, who profess to love Jesus, and they go to church and they read their Bibles, but they deny the doctrine of hell because they don't like it, which tells me that they aren't in love with the Jesus of the Bible. They're in love with the idea of love. Those are, that's a whole different thing. So, so I'm going to go ahead and put this like as simply and as plainly as I can so that we're all on the same page here. If hell is not real, Jesus doesn't matter. And like I, I know that sounds weird. You may have to go think about it. That's fine. Go think about it. If, if hell is not real, Jesus doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. The incarnation doesn't matter. The sinless life of Jesus doesn't matter. The cross doesn't matter. The resurrection from the dead doesn't matter. The ascension, which, which takes Jesus before the Father to do what? To intercede on our behalf, doesn't matter. His love doesn't matter. None of it matters if hell isn't real. There is no crisis. There is no dilemma. There is no enmity. There is no consequence for our sin. There is no war. There, there is no problem. So nothing that God has done towards redemption matters. There's nothing to be redeemed from. We're fine, right? Christianity at that point, if you remove hell, is as empty and pointless and worthless as any other religion on this earth that man has constructed. It's just one of them if you remove hell. Jesus believed in hell. 
And again, I don't like the thought, I don't like the concept of, of hell being real, not one bit. And even though, like, I'm not, you guys all know this, I'm not a, I'm not a smart man, but I have come to the conclusion a long time ago, by the grace of God, that whether I like it or not, or get down with it or not, or agree with it or not, or conceive of it or not, or understand it or not, if the Bible says it's true, it's right. Like, you, you don't need to be a high school graduate to know that, Right? Like, like the scriptures inform us. The Bible people is there to inform us, not the other way around. We do not come to the Bible to scrutinize it. It scrutinizes us when we open it. This is the ultimate authority. This is the voice. This is the truth. We can't come here and play with it and do what we want with it. It's simply true. And so, like, if there's a discrepancy, when I read my Bible and there's something I don't like, I know right away, I'm wrong, he's right. Like, I don't have to sit around and be like, wow, I could go either way. Like, that's a pretty good argument God's got, but you know what? I got a good one, too. You know what I, no, like, we can't, we can't play those games. Like, if I come to the Bible and something just completely rubs up against me wrong and I disagree with it, it's still right. It's still right. For us to deny the doctrine of hell is to call him a liar and a fraud because he believes in it. He's teaching that it's true, right? Having said that, if, if, if you and I truly believe not only does hell exist but that God is the gatekeeper of it, how much, how much would this change how we live now? Like this, this is the part that I've really... This is the part where it got challenging for me this week, meditating on this scripture and thinking about it in light of myself. Like if I, so I can sit here and go like, I believe it's true. Like Jesus ain't a liar. Like hell is true. But then it's like, how much do I really live as if it is? <laughs> right? Like, like this, this is kind of the real, the real question. Like how, how much, if we really believe that it's true, would it affect how we live now, what we do now, what we say now, who we live for? and who we do it for now, right? Like, like if we really truly believe the things about God that we read in our Bibles and that we say we believe, how much would that change our lives and how we live today? The things that you do in secret, the things that you struggle with over and over again and wrestle with, the way that you talk to your wife or your spouse when nobody else is around. Like this is the stuff that started killing me this week. The things that you say about other people when they're not around. Because he is. Right? Like, like all of it. Like how much does this change? There was this question that was once posed by a dude named Del Tackett that I cannot shake from my brain, this question. Right? Um, and that question is this. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? I know it sounds kind of dumb, but think about it for a second. Like it's not dumb. It's not a dumb question. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Yes. Well, I wish I did. I do sometimes, not all the time. The reason I bring up that question today is because it's, it's way easy for us to soften holiness in our lives, soften obedience in our lives, soften compassion towards others, in our lives, soften on evangelistic opportunities, soften on sharing the truths of God with others, because when we don't do those things, nothing happens. 
Nothing happens. Like when I don't do these things, a lightning bolt does not strike me. It should, but it does not. Like when I fail to do one of these things, like he doesn't show up at my house and sit me down and have a talk with me. You know what I'm saying? Or, or take me to the woodshed, right? Like my dad would do immediately following some kind of stupid thing on my part, right? Like, like God doesn't, he doesn't do that. Like nothing happens when I disobey. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. As if it doesn't matter what I do, right? As if he doesn't care. As if it's all hidden or of no concern to him. And because of that, our point of concern continually shifts from pleasing him back to pleasing ourselves and pleasing others. Because nothing happens when we don't, right? And we're always best about being about ourselves, if we're honest, right? The reason why we do that is because judgment is not immediate. God's judgment is not immediate. But what if the Bible is true? What if what the Bible tells us is true? Like, like what if he sees it all and does watch it all and is present in it all, but is not immediately responding because he is patient and long-suffering, like it says. But what if he sees it all, right? Like, like, what if he really does care and is fully aware of our passivity and nominalism and disobedience in that which he's given us to do? But his mercy abounds. Right? What if we do hear about it someday and we do feel it? And we do experience loss, not under condemnation, but in tears and regret, like 1 Corinthians 3 indicates we might, right? There will be a fire that we all go in where our works are burnt up. And I don't know what you think of fire, but if I'm going through one, I'm going to feel it. I'm going to feel it. And then he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and I think that is the tears, is our failure, <laughs> all those things revealed to us that fell so short. I think it will disgust us at that point. We will know. And then he'll wipe them clean, and then we will never feel them again. We will never cry again. Right? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Because if it is, man is not the biggest problem we have. God is. God is. Man is not the scariest scenario for these disciples that are about to go out as sheep among wolves. God is. If the answer is yes, in answering yes, I really believe what DJ, like you did, right? Then our lives will be dictated by, navigated by, motivated by an obedience and allegiance to him, even when it makes no sense to us or the world around us, because he is real. And he is supreme. All right? This is a good fear because it propels us and others into life, into that which is really real. So if you haven't noticed this by now in this text, I'll, here it is. Okay? The primary fundamental difference between that which makes these fears a bad one or a good one is that a bad fear will paralyze us in the things of God 
A good fear will propel us into the things of God. This is the difference here, right? A bad fear will immobilize us and a good fear will mobilize us, right? So, so like, that's it. Like, this is the lesson today from, from, from Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. They're in opposition to each other, both of them, right? One will hamstring the other. Like, I've tried. I've tried for years as a Christian to walk the fence, right? And every single time at some point I fall with one leg over each side of the fence. And I know that's an uncomfortable picture. That's exactly what it feels like every time I fail at it. It's exactly what it feels like every time I fail at it. It doesn't work. If you have a great fear of man, you will not be capable of truly serving the Lord. You won't. And I won't. And if you have a great fear of the Lord, you will not fall into the trap of thinking you need to fear man and serve man. That's the way it works. It's that simple. You must choose. And Jesus is putting this in front of us here today, whether we like it or not. We must choose. And and, and guess which one is the right choice, right? I I think we're all going to pass this test, right? Which one's the the right choice? Like, even if your friends end up hating you, right? Even if your family ends up hating you. Even if your girlfriend breaks up with you. Right? Even if your friends pick up their ball and go home, even if you lose your job, even if you lose your reputation, even if you lose your social status and your paycheck and your life, you know why it's the right choice? Because for the child of Jesus, our life, which is in the soul, not the body, goes on into a permanent state of glorification. Right? Glorification. Look, the bottom line, guys, is that you and I don't have to answer to any man when we die. We don't, not one of them are going to be there drilling us and asking us questions. One's going to be there. It is Father God. And there is one name that, 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 that is the secret password, the secret handshake to acceptance and reception into eternal glory, and that is Jesus. What the heck are you doing here, right? Like, go ahead and make your case. What's your defense? Jesus. That's it. Like, like, we don't have to answer to any man, any magistrate, any governor, nothing when we get there. Just God. And that kind of helps put things in perspective as to who we should fear the most. And we're all going to stand there someday, right? Like, we're all, we're all going to stand there someday. Um, 29 through 31, I know, I know, you guys know me. We're um, running, running late. I'll try to speed this up here. All right. You guys got all day, right? No football games to watch, no NASCAR races. Good. <laughs> um, where are we at? Uh, verse 2029. Let's take 29 through 31. Let's take that as a chunk, okay? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. What a great text. I mean, especially on the hills of like this, this heavy, weighty, like brutal sounding text of like God has the power to throw you into hell. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know how much he loves you? Like, he knows you intimately and deeply and like carefully and closely. Right? So he's not cold just to throw you into hell if you don't do what's right. 
there's, there's actually something more, right? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, verse 31, therefore, you are of more value than, in, than many sparrows. What a, what a great text. So, like, this is the third fear not, okay? The third fear not is actually uh, what's found in 31, but it's, it's all of this that we, that we just read. And the reason, the third reason why not to fear when these guys go out as sheep among wolves is because they are of extreme significance to the Father. They are of extreme significance to the Father. And you know what? So are you. And so am I. I don't know how. I do not get it. I disagree with him sometimes. <laughs> but, but, but boy, am I so grateful that, that he cares the way that the Bible says he cares ab- about little old me. Right? Little old insignificant David. You know? He does. So the third reason not to fear is because we're of extreme significance to God. Um, uh, Think of the example that Jesus uses here to clarify our value. He uses birds, right? And when I, like birds seem super insignificant to me. Like I'll sit out, we have these big windows on the back of our house, um, and my wife has all kinds of like um, bird's nests out there and bird feeders and stuff. And so like it's a, and we have a pond back there, and so the birds come down, and um, sometimes I just watch all these birds. It's like amazing, but they seem so random as I watch. Like it seems so random. Like it doesn't make any sense, you know. So so insignificant, each of them, it seems. And, And Jesus is saying like they're not. Even though their existence seems like random. They fly here, they fly there, they pick at this, right? They swoop at this, um, they hit the window um, and fall to the ground. It's like, what are you doing, dummy? You know? Um, like, like it just seems so random, right? The cat brings it in and bats it around and plays with it. and Like, like it just seems random. And, and yet as random and insignificant as they seem to me, Jesus is saying that they're not. That they're not random. They're like what you see with the birds is not arbitrary, right? Like, like to the father, the father is deeply involved with every bird everywhere all the time, right? So of course, how much more you and I, if he's like that with birds? That's what's being said here, right? Like it's pretty overwhelming to think about. I read Psalm 139 for an invocation this morning. That's why I read it. Go read it again. Psalm 139, if, if, you, if you walk out of that and think to yourself, like, God doesn't care about me, then you haven't read it right. You just didn't read it properly. David is just, is just gushing, going on and on and on and gushing about how, how much his dad intimately loves him and values him. That's us. That's us, right? You and I, you and I are the pinnacle, the crowning achievement and jewel of God's creation. Man, that's not meant in arrogance. That's just meant in truth, right? Like David says here, we're of the highest value to him. We have a lot of people, we have a lot of people in this world right now that are killing themselves. Like suicide is through the ceiling. You know, and, and I can't help but to think that part of the reason why is because they don't know this. They don't know that the creator of the universe sees them and knows them and values them and cares for them. The world certainly isn't telling them. The world is telling us, look inside. 
You've got, you've got things that you lack, and you've got things that you need, and you need to be happy, and you know where to go to do that? Inside. Go to those desires and fulfill them. Do what you want. You'll be happy. And, the, and then more people are killing themselves with that philosophy. No, we're, we're, we're meant to go outside. There's nothing good in here that dwells. We cannot go to the problem to find the solution. We need to go outside of ourselves to find that which you and I so strongly desire and lack. And we have it available. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. There is one who cares for us immensely and who can fulfill and satisfy all those things that you and I are looking everywhere to satisfy and coming up empty-handed. People need to know more than ever today that there is a God who loves them deeply and significantly and infinitely. That's where meaning comes from. That's where purpose comes from. That's where hope comes from. And that's why we have it, right? This is what we're, we're talking about here. Um, Jesus is declaring the reality that as we follow God, even into danger, it's okay. It's okay because he's extremely mindful of us. Where we go, how we do it, how we're treated, what we experience, what our end may be when we go there. Right? He's, ex- he's there. He's extremely mindful of it. This is the third and the final fear not given to us by Jesus. And it's a heck of a reason. Like, it's a good reason not to fear. Like, God cares about you. Like, don't, don't worry about what these people think. He cares about you deeply. Right? So, um, to reiterate the three, the three don'ts and then the one do fear, do not fear because nobody's going to get away with anything that they do to you. Nobody's going to get away with anything. Number two, do not fear because the worst thing they can do is take your tent, not your life. Okay? And number three, do not fear because your father cares greatly for you. That's the breakdown of this. And then the one fear, fear him because he holds life. Fear him because he holds life. Right? Um, So let's close out this text with the the passage that you've all been worried about and waiting for, right? 32, 33, the biggie here. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. It starts with another so, right? Which means another conclusion on top of the conclusion uh, that he's already uh, given us, right? Um, in other words, kind of sounds like this, as a result of all that I have just declared to you in terms of having fear of God rather than man, know that at the end of the day, you're either with me or against me. This is pretty much what's being said here. At the end of the day, you're either with me or you're against me, which means you're either on team Jesus or you're not. Like, that's it. There's no, like, third option. Like, there is no, there is, there, there is no category of the unaffiliated. You're either with him or you're with the other guy. Right? It conjures up the saying, choose this day whom you will serve. Kind of sounds a little bit like that type of an idea, right? Now, let me just come out with what I do not believe this means because I, I, I believe that this has been mistaught. I believe I've heard it mistaught quite a bit. This is just my personal expositional um, 
opinion through my studies. You guys can go and look into this. Um, I, I don't believe that this means that if you um, are an evangelistic failure, like a coward, that God's going to like cut you out of the deal. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what it means. Like if you and I are standing in a, in a group or a room of people that are non-believers and someone says, hey, David, what do you believe? And I choose to be like, I don't know. I don't think that means that God cuts me off. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think we're taught, or we can initially look at it and think that that's what it's saying. But one of the reasons that I don't think it does is, well, one word, Peter. <laughs> like, Peter, okay? Uh, this dude, not once, but like three times. And he even had, homie had a handicap, right? Jesus is like, hey, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do this. Like, tells him before it happens. And he's like, heck no. Like, especially since you just said that I'm like, how, how stupid would I be to do it? And then he does it three times, right? He denies Christ. Haven't I seen you with this guy before? Heck no, man. Like, I had nothing to do with this guy. Like, one, one of the accounts even says that he actually, like, kind of, like, um, speaks harshly against Christ. Like, kind of curses, right? And then there's this weird thing that happens, um, besides the fact that he goes on to be a pillar of the church and one of the greatest preachers that's ever existed, <laughs> and uh, all those, besides the fact that he goes on to be Jesus' disciple and not cut off, um, when he's done with the betrayal, this, this weird thing goes down where he weeps bitterly. And it's like, why? Like, why the heck did he weep bitterly? And um, I believe it's because he could not believe after it happened, that he did what he did because he did believe. That's why. Right? It, it's not just some kind of like, oh, you were a coward, like you should have talked about Jesus with this person and you didn't. That's not what we're talking about here at, at, at all. In, in even the context of everything that Christ has just said. So what is it that we're talking about? Well, put simply, it's a full gospel denial. That's what we're talking about. It's a full rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're talking about. Um, where does that happen? On earth, before man. That's where it happens. It happens here. This is where it all goes down. This is a redemptive denial that's being talked about, not a temporary one. Okay? A salvific denial of the soul when faced with it um, by man and before man. This is the gospel proclaimed and then the gospel rejected. Right? So, like, this goes down in every church across the land every Sunday, where there is somebody somewhere sitting in a chair that hears the gospel and then, like I said earlier, is forced to do something with it. It doesn't mean they have to get up out of their chair and come forward and sing, say the sinner's prayer. That's not how it works. When somebody gets saved, the Holy Spirit goes to their chair when the gospel is preached and overwhelms that person with truth and grants them faith. So this is, this is what we're talking about. And, and, and there are people who are sitting in pure gospel sermons all across the map of this world every single Sunday and hearing a pure gospel and walking out, doing nothing with Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's a denial before man and by man <laughs> and with man. I think that's all it is. So, so um, we end here. We end here with where we begin. Who do you fear the most? Who do you fear the most? It's not about if you fear or not. 
It's about who you fear the most. And the bottom line is that those who are being saved fear God the most. Maybe not all the time, but at a fundamental, ultimate level, we know at the end of the day all we have is Christ. And there's no one bigger than him. There's no one more important than him. There's no one more necessary or needed than him on us, right? That being said, Jesus is our only hope, and I praise God that he has given us hope. This text is a reminder of that. It's also permission for you and I to go out and maybe get roughed up a little, knowing that it's okay, because our dad's got our back, right? Lord, thank you so much for the words that never, never cease to give life every time we drink from them. Thank you that these are, once again, recorded and preserved so that we, thousands of years later, can sit here and receive the same words of life that they did when they sat at your feet that day and heard this conversation go down. And so we thank you that you are faithful even when we are not. We thank you that everything hinges and depends on your love for us and what you have determined to do rather than what we attempt to do. But we do ask for strength, God. We do ask for courage. We do ask for boldness to go forward and not care about what man thinks but care about what you think. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Mrs. Thompson.